Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of What's Going On in Banking. I'm your host, Ron Shevlin, Chief Research Officer at Cornerstone Advisors and author of the FinTech Snark Tank blog on Forbes. And today, we are going to look at the Credit Card Competition Act of 2023. There is a new bill in front of Congress called the Credit Card Competition Act of 2023 that would, according to its sponsors, increase competition in the payment space by enabling merchants to select payment networks other than Visa and MasterCard at the point of transaction. The benefit to merchants would be lower interchange fees, and the purported benefit to consumers would be lower prices as merchants would pass those savings on to us. The real impact, however, would be just the opposite. According to Todd Zywicki, who was a professor at George Mason University, he wrote, by artificially pushing down interchange fees on credit cards, the bill would curb an important revenue stream for banks. Larger banks could offset such losses by selling investment advice, mortgages, and other products, or by imposing new fees as they did in response to the first Durban Amendment, which impacted the debit cards. Small banks, however, lack these revenue streams and would have to raise fees, curtail services, or merge fueling industry consolidations. Personally, and, and this is Ron Shevlin talking now, I find it ironic that politicians who want to see large banks broken up would propose financial regulations that would only make them larger. But consumers here are the big losers. They stand to lose the rewards that many of them get today on their credit card spend. And the idea that merchants would pass along savings to consumers is ludicrous. Numerous studies have shown that merchants didn't pass on savings after the original Dermot Amendment, which reduced debit card interchange rates, was passed. Now, consumers may also find themselves on the losing end of an increase in fraud. Uh, in a new Cornerstone Advisors report titled The True Impact of Interchange Regulation, author Glenn Grossman pointed out that Visa and MasterCard offer consumers zero liability when transactions are processed on their networks. A change to this format, however, would create a fragmented fraud landscape. The guarantee of zero liability will be questionable because consumers will never know if their card brand processed the transaction or if it was sent through an alternative network. Amazingly, though, the proponents of the proposed regulation can't even see the potential negative impact on merchants. As a result of the regulations, issuers may increase fees and tighten underwriting and credit standards, and the result of that is going to be lower spending and reduced revenue for the merchants. Now, to help you make some sense of this all, I've got, uh, I want to bring in today's guest, and I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to be honest here, my guest was not my first choice. My first choice was Dick Durbin, but wisely, his office declined to participate in this. And it was actually for the better, because I actually want to bring in somebody who's more qualified to talk about this. Uh, and it's Michelle Alt, partner and co-founder at the Claros Group. Out of, uh, I believe you, you may be West Coast-based, Michelle, but I believe the company's headquartered in Washington. Is that correct? We're 100% remote. So our company is where uh, its partners are, which is um, it, it, which includes Washington and San Francisco. But Well, Michelle's resume and credentials for, for talking about this topic is, is truly spectacular and unbeaten. Michelle and her husband co-founded Claro's group about three and a half years ago. Prior to that, uh, Michelle spent a few years at Promontory Group, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. And before that, spent a good chunk of years at the OCC. And actually, Michelle, you were very involved in the original Durban uh, Amendment, weren't you? 
Uh, yes, actually, but I do need to correct you. Um, there are, uh, I'm part of a group of, of founders of Claros. There's more than just uh, the two of us. But yes, I, uh, for a long time, was a lawyer in the legs and reg shop at the OCC. And as part of that, I led a number of interagency rulemaking efforts uh, post-Dodd-Frank. The Durban Amendment really stands out in my memory for a few reasons that I'll get into in a moment. But why I love talking about Durban is that the Durban Amendment is a textbook example of unintended consequences. And, uh, you know, really classes, I hope law school classes are taught on on these unintended consequences. But um, just to clarify, the Durban Amendment directed the, the Fed only to adopt implementing rules. The Fed consulted with the other banking agencies in preparing those rules, which was, you know, wonderful to be included. And uh, I had a role in that uh, consultative process that uh, I really enjoyed. But anyway, would you like me to kind of review Durban 1.0? No, I want you to, uh, we can go back to that, but let's focus on the new act. And a uh, couple of things. Number one, I'd like you to focus on the intended uh, consequences, yeah. the lower rates. And do you believe that that's going to happen and that consumers will see the benefits and so forth? And then please, you know, expand beyond that and, and tell me what you think the, the unintended consequences will be. Okay, I'll give that a, a whirl, Ron. Do I think consumers will benefit from lower costs? No. Heck no. You know, as I said in, in um, uh, a moment ago in the consultation process on the Durban Amendment rules with the Fed, I can tell you that the staff of the banking agencies was extremely skeptical that the promised lower costs at Target would ever pan out, right? That just isn't what happens in retail as far as I've ever experienced. Prices generally go up, right? And so there was kind of a, a, a hoped-for outcome. Like, well, you lower these costs and then consumers benefit. Well, that was not the case. And I, I so I take a, a similarly dubious view to the claim that uh, this uh, Durban 2.0 would have the result that just completely didn't pan out with Durban 1.0. Yeah. Go ahead. So tell me what you think some of the further unintended consequences will be. Well, so the really interesting thing, again, about Durban 1.0 was not just that the intended consequences didn't quite come to bear, that there were unintended consequences. And Ron, I, I trust you'll Talk a little bit about that, and your report goes into it in depth. As you said, it's a heavily studied phenomenon. Consumer costs went up. Issuers, even exempt issuers, had their costs increase. Um, overall, maybe disaster is too strong a word, but certainly not a success in my view. But here's the most interesting thing that happened with the Durban Amendment. I can tell you in 2010 and 2011, here's the thing nobody was thinking about. You know, as I said, we were skeptical about whether consumers would benefit. Here's what we didn't think. Will there be an entire new industry that results from the Durban Amendment? You know, we weren't thinking about fintechs. We weren't thinking about neobanks who would exploit the exemption in the Durban Amendment for small issuers. And we can talk to, about that till the cows come home, I'm sure. 
But that's ever since then, anytime I look at a new bill, I think, okay, so what, what aren't they thinking about, right? Who might, what clever and enterprising group or person might figure out a way either around um, this requirement or through this requirement, right? And in saying that, I don't knock fintech. You know, fintech is is um, driving a number of wonderful um, solutions for banks and their customers. But again, we weren't thinking about that, and it gave rise to a huge industry, which Ron, you can tell people more about. So the Durban 2.0 bill would apply only to banks over $100 billion, so very, very large banks. But Ron, I'd like to turn it back to you. Why do you think that... Um, that the intended consequence of exempting small issuers from this uh, requirement won't pan out? Well, first of all, uh, there's a fraud aspect to this. You know, as, as I mentioned in the intro, that because of the difficulties in kind of tracking and not having a single view of the transaction, there, there's going to be some, some fraud impact to, to this as well. Now, there, actually, interestingly, I have talked to a number of credit union CEOs who, who actually think this could potentially benefit them because they're b- below that exemption level um, and that would benefit from it. But, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning and going back to Zywicki's comment is, you know, the large banks have marketing budgets that are that just dwarf what the smaller institutions can do. And they will simply find ways to kind of work around the 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 out the the downside of this from from an interchange perspective, it's simply a margin decision. They will go just like they did with Durban 1.0, start doing one-to-one negotiations because they have the power and the the cloud. So I still think that this has a net 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 negative impact on the smaller institutions because of that lack of flexibility in dealing with it, and then the the increased potential for the fraud. So that's uh, then I see other potential unintended consequences in you know carrying on from the the potential negative impact on the credit limit and reducing the amount of spend. Um, if there is a reduced amount of spend, Michelle, then by definition tax sales tax revenues go down, and you may find that there are certain municipalities and governments that uh, are now negatively hurt because of the lower tax revenue and the tax base that they're dealing with. So the, you know, the second and even third order implications of this just seem to be to be completely overlooked by the government and by the, the sponsors of this, who, in my cynical and jaded view of the government, are just doing so to, you, you know, play to 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 a small uh, small band of of, of uh, supporters. So let me ask you this, and and I want to kind of get to like the really core crux of the matter here. Which is, if you were writing the regulations on this, not only do I want to ask you what you would write, but what is the, what's the fundamental core problem you think needs to be addressed by regulations? And, you know, the, the, the Durbin and the supporters of this say, oh, it's increased competition. But uh, and I get it. There's a duopoly with uh, MasterCard and Visa. But is that the real problem, and is this regulation really solving that problem? Well, you've you've um, unleashed the beast a little bit here because you just asked a, a, a question from a uh, to a former reg writer, and that can be uh, 
I really enjoy this topic, but it's technical and, and bureaucratic. So if Durban 2.0 is enacted, which I think is certainly unlikely in the coming session, but we'll see, right? Uh, eventually, it, it may well find itself on Biden's desk. If it's enacted, the board will be once again charged with preparing implementing regulation. Agencies kind of have two options when writing implementing regulations, right? One is to, especially if the agency staff and principals think that the statute is sort of wrongheaded, right? There are two approaches. First, just stick as closely as possible to the statutory language, write a preamble that says, you know, essentially our our discretion is limited, not our fault, you know? And that's kind of, that's a kind of the easy way out. Then they can the other option is to get creative. And uh, the agency staff is very creative. The board staff, very strong, very, very strong lawyers and, and uh, substantive experts at the Fed. So I wouldn't think creativity will be the choice. Let me give you an example of creativity with Durban 1.0. So as folks may recall, Durban 1.0 said, directed the board to limit uh, interchange fees to an amount reasonably correlated to the actual cost of the transaction. And and ultimately, they, the, they came out with, well, it's about 21 cents. But what the OCC did was actually submit a letter um, to the board that at the time, uh, John Walsh was the acting controller. And said, you know, you're taking much too narrow a view of the components of the fees. You know, um, when when you're when you're looking at this, there are other costs you should be considering. Right now, that did not prevail, right? And it was pretty unusual for one agency head to to comment. Um, I was involved in the preparation of that letter. What I can tell you is the result was uh, I and a couple other people were called up to Durbin's office for a scolding. <laughs> but so what? Right. So, you know, the Fed could again or this time say, you know, we need to really be mindful of consumer costs. Right. We need to impose a, a requirement here for subsequent evaluation of the impact of these rules. That's possible. Right. They could get um, very creative with the Regulatory Flexibility Act, the RFA. They could issue an initial, they could complete an initial regulatory flexibility act analysis that's called an IRFUT with very leading questions about the impact that the regulation would have on a, um, a substantial number of small entities, right? So they can really focus on that. And I understand that I'm talking about something technical. It sounds really boring, but this is the, the sausage making. And once it leaves the hill... The regulators can can maneuver, right? And if, depending on the comments on the IRFA, the board could come up with a FIRFA, final RFA analysis, declaring the rule, notwithstanding the exemption, one that may, will, or has uh, a significant impact on a small number, on a significant number of small entities. That itself requires periodic review. That sets in. Uh, in process, essentially a, a process to continually 
take another look, ask for comments, you know, chip away at that. Now, that's a very long-term and technical approach, but there are options. So what would I do? Um, I think was your question with that um, digression. I would be informed by the results of Durban 1.0, which, as you said, it's not lower retail costs and instead increased issuer costs across the board, including small issuers. Um, those costs were passed on to their customers in the form of higher monthly fees, minimum balance, and so forth. And as I mentioned, created a whole new uh, industry that the fintechs uh, stepped into. So well done there, right? So I would be looking in the regulation for opportunities to really ask um, the impacted entities to demonstrate the impact of the rule. Now that can be done. And I would be trying to think ahead to how this might impact small banks and what besides uh, just exempting them could help protect them. What would you do, Ron? We'd throw the damn thing out. I think this is ridiculous. The board can't do that. The yeah. board can't do that. No, the board can't do that. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, I would just love to see the, the act not get uh, uh, voted in, you know, altogether. Um, yeah. With, you know, some forethought as to what is the core problem that is being solved here. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of proof that, that, I mean, look, you know, we we as an economy and society love the small guy, love, you know, to see them get successful. And then when they get big, we hate them. And but the reality is, is there's a, a role for 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 the big guys. I mean. If you're a mega corporation, you don't really want to do your banking with $25 billion level banks. You like the fact that there's a JP Morgan Chase or a Bank of America out there who's got the resources to support you. Um, this is kind of what's happened in the evolution of payments with MasterCard and Visa. And the, yes, they may have a duopoly, but that is ignoring the reality that American Express and Discover are out there and that there are other providers that in issuers can choose to work with if they want to not be forced to um it's a you know it's it's a we we have a society that's based on competition and whoever competes the best wins not by directing things by e governmental edict and and mandate um especially in light of what the the potential negative implications are and predominantly fraud and i think michelle this is the real overlooked uh, issue here. It isn't so much about whether MasterCard or Visa suffers a little bit. They they can take hits left and right, you know, every day. But the the we are in an environment where fraud is rampant. Uh, it is just absolutely crazy at the moment, especially because of the shift towards digital payments. And this is only going to exacerbate that problem. Now, thankfully, there are you know consortiums like Early Warning. Um, some new things that are happening. Um, I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with um, uh, Sardine. Uh, they've created Sardine X to kind of bring together some of the smaller institutions in, a, in more of a fraud consortium. So there's some good work that's being done. I think Alloy Labs may be doing some stuff there too. But uh, you know, it's hard to stay in front of the, 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 fraud, uh, the, the fraudulent actors. And I think that to me is one of the big reasons why you know, not mandating um, new, new, new routing for the transactions is the, you know, and, and 
you know what if the merchants have a problem with um uh interchange or their cost structure you know what uh you know the old adage that half of your advertising is ineffective so go, go figure out which half of your advertising the billions the tens of billions of dollars of of advertising that large merchants do cut some of that out and you, you improve your bottom line and um you, know, you can pass those savings on to consumers yeah run you know, I call this um, sort of the rent is too damn high approach to uh, banking regulation, right? It's just sort of a, we don't like fill in the blank, big banks. We don't like Visa and MasterCard. We don't like bank executives who are fat cats who get paid too much, right? Like there's there's this sort of um, lack of nuance and sort of the, a boogeyman approach, right? And in this case, it's really just, uh, um, an approach where you're, where I believe Durban is favoring the retailers, right? It's a it's a giveaway to the retailers, and you know, not that I will be shedding any tears, and nor will you, over you know the the impact of Visa and, and Mastercard. I just think that you know there is not a demonstrated efficacy in this approach. Yeah. So your question was, what would I do if I were writing? regulations, if your question is, what would I do if I were working on this statute? Well, yeah, I, I would tank it, but you know, I'm nobody elected me. All right, Rochelle, last question for you. And, and this is an interesting, we're having this discussion, which people are not seeing live. Anybody who's watching this is watching it sometime at least 48 hours after we're actually having this conversation. But literally two hours before we got on this call, I saw a news flash that this may actually come to vote uh, in about 96 hours from now, maybe a little bit, maybe add another 24. So it's possible that, well, it's possible that we may get this live before the vote. It's also possible that this might not go live before the vote. So I'm going to put you on the hook here. Last question. Is this going to pass? No. Okay, I agree with you, and I hope it doesn't. My prediction, if anything's going to pass the House, is a is pretty much a no. You know, it's tough in this environment, and you but know, this does have uh, this does have bipartisan bipartisan support to a certain extent. Yeah, but as I said, everybody's got their boogeyman, and uh, uh, not everybody in the House uh, yeah. finds it to be Visa and Mastercard. Great. Michelle, thank you so much for being on What's Going On and bagging everybody who joined in. Thank you very much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you on another episode of What's Going On in Banking. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Michelle. Thank you. 